RPC Sermons Podcast. Today's episode is a special episode from our Facebook Live series entitled Closing the Distance. These are unscripted conversations with the pastors of RPC and various special guests reflecting on topics from our ongoing sermon series. If you're interested in learning more about this community of faith, visit roswellprez.org. So here we are, closing the distance. Roswell Presbyterian Church, opportunity to speak to the preaching pastor, to get in behind the scenes and understand a little about what we're thinking and and what maybe might have been missed in the 20-minute presentation or sermon. So I'm Dan Christ. I'm one of the assistant pastors here at Roswell Presbyterian. Jeff Myers is our preaching pastor, senior pastor, and he has taken us in this series called Hidden God. Hidden God, thoughts that I think all of us have had at one time or another, like where is God in the midst of whatever it is that I'm going through that we're seeing in the world. So I think a pretty poignant topic uh, for all of us, Jeff, and again, maybe just an introduction of kind of how how you came about this, this topic, if you like, and then where we are in the, in the progression so far. Yeah, so I think, I mean, a lot of this is autobiographical, where I grew up in a tradition a pretty fundamentalist um, around a lot of Christians who, when they talked about God, just assumed we all were talking about the same thing, that God was pretty like, we understood who God was, we understood God's purpose, what we were about, like, there were, it wasn't a lot of mystery to the whole thing. And then as I got older, and, you know, especially when I went to college, and all of a sudden, I started asking deeper questions and saying, I have really no idea what, what do we mean when we sit, use the word God? How can I see God out in the world? Um, how do I recognize God? How can I see God's purposes? Like these questions started arising, and I found I wasn't alone in in, in doubting, in uh, being skeptical, in having questions. And then you know, through seminary, kind of explored a lot of that. And then you know, for ten years, I worked with college students and young adults, uh, a lot of them scientists, uh, you know, various liberal arts majors. Um, and they would, they would ask me tough questions. And I, I remember just getting stumped sometimes going, I, I don't know how to say that. And so one of the things I think that I wanted to do through this series is kind of zero in on that kind of problem of, of human experience and are the mystery of God, um, the, the, the questions we don't have easy answers to um, and kind of really think through that. Because what I also want to highlight and we're just staying in the Old Testament in this series, but this is a common occurrence in Scripture. Like right. the, a, a book that is about God's pursuit of human beings is full of human beings not seeing or recognizing um, God, right? Yeah. And so I think like I was really interested in getting into some of these stories. Yeah, good. I think you're right. I think we believe in the contemporary, those of us who are alive now, 
that we're kind of alone or unique in the fact that, you know, with all the technology and scientific advancements and all kind of stuff, there's a whole lot of doubt or questions about God and God's existence and that that's a new thing. But it's not. It's the scriptures are full of the same questions that we are asking. Exactly. And I think, I mean, you're you're working in Genesis right now, you know, or you know, were, and now we're into Exodus and Exodus. But you're, you're talking the very beginnings of humanity, at least our understanding of humanity through scripture. And they're having like, God, what what are you doing? Where are you in the midst of this? And and so in some ways, it's, there's a great comfort in recognizing that's a question for all of humanity. And it's not as if, okay, now, you know, we have, we can carry a computer around in our pockets and our cell phones, and we have all this scientific advancement. So the questions about God, or even the need for God has been eliminated. No, that's not the case at all. Like, Nothing in many ways has changed in terms of faith and our experience of of God and the way that God kind of works in in our lives. So to kind of address those questions from ancient biblical texts and recognize, man, they mirror the same question, the same issues that I'm faced with right now is is profound, which again, we keep coming back to this. this is why the scriptures remain dynamic and vital because it's a it's not an expression of this is an ancient world and this is a modern world it's an expression of this is humanity and yep. that's what doesn't change that's so it's fantastic it's really good very well said very well said well you know i've been practicing <laughs> so we, we we had our third in the series yesterday so you did the first one then carrie weatherford did the second one and yesterday was the third can you just forget those maybe just joining in just take us through those three really briefly and kind of why they were chosen and and how you think they communicate to us today in terms of hidden god well i i want i want to stick it stay in the old testament because we hadn't right. really from the old testament in a while and i wanted to kind of pick passages that maybe are more obscure that we don't think about very much um so i picked that first one with um jacob and he you know he comes to bethel you know falls asleep and has a dream you know uh which all led zeppelin fans are thankful for and um <laughs> and and then he wakes up and he says uh surely the lord is in this place and i did not know it uh the king james i love the king james version it says surely the lord is in this place and i knew it not yeah. And I love that. Like, this is one of the patriarchs, one of the, you know, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Um, we, we refer to that God from the Old Testament. And um, and so I love that Jacob was confronted and surprised by God's presence. God was present, but he didn't recognize it. He didn't right. see it. And I think that this is a common experience for a lot of, a lot of us. And that we shouldn't, if, golly, you know, if that happened to Jacob, and he's one of the patriarchs, one of the like the the who God has made the pro, the covenantal promises to right. the of Israel to, and he had trouble like seeing God, recognizing. Surely we mere mortals, you know, uh, are yeah. going to right. He had he did not have all the distractions that we have. Right, he's in a field by himself for crying out loud, and still doesn't know we've got all the distractions. So exactly, exactly. <laughs> so that's and I, so I just I want people. I hope to like take comfort in that fact, like, okay. And not to throw up their hands and say, I don't believe anymore, but to say, stay faithful, stay on the path, be, be attentive, keep, keep your eyes open, see what, how God might appear in surprising ways. And then, and then Carrie did a fantastic job preaching on the life of Joseph. 
And I really like that Joseph's life story because I mean, he's he's got a wild life, right? Yeah. Ups and downs. You know, he's he gets comes to power in Egypt, then he gets thrown into prison, then he gets back to power in Egypt, and um, and only to the end. And I, I love it because um, you know Joseph's brothers had sold him into slavery and then told their dad that he had been killed, like. And then, and then at the very end, they get really worried about that Joseph's going to bring retribution against them. And Joseph right. says, no, nah, man, you meant what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Yeah. And I think who, which one of us doesn't need that good news message in our lives that, you know, as King used to say, uh, you know, the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. Yep. Um, yep. And so I think, so that taking that big uh, kind of, large story perspective on our lives and how we fit in it um and the the things that are evil bad um troubling you know when they're seen in light of god's good story of triumph at the end of all things hopefully it can gives us hope for the um for the journey and then yesterday obviously um i i i moved to exodus and we talked about the baby moses um who was saved after the genocide of the Hebrew male babies of the Pharaoh says to throw them into the Nile that um, through the craftiness of Moses's mom and sister, um, you know, his life is saved. And I didn't mention this, but that Hebrew word for the basket uh, that Moses is put into is the same word used for the ark, for Noah's ark, you know, so, the the, right. the boat that saved humanity uh, through Noah is the same uh, is the same word that saves Moses and the, the the covenantal promises and you know the law and all of this will be brought about through that that boy that baby boy who was saved. Yeah, great. So yeah, yesterday I was uh, assisting in the modern service or contemporary service, and you kind of gave that message, and then immediately followed by the children's message. And so I'm like, what am I going to do with this? Because, I mean, it's a great story. You know, Moses is saved and all kind of stuff. But what's underneath that is there's a whole lot of baby boys that were not saved. There's a whole lot of mothers who were absolutely distraught and grieving. So we have the story of one who was saved through the kind of cunning of, of his mother and, you know, the way that God worked that out. And so I'm here with these kids going you know, you know, uh, what happened and why did this happen? And and they knew the story well enough to know, well, you know, the Pharaoh had had chosen to kind of eliminate all the male children. And this is, you know, this is the story of one who was saved. So talk to us about that, because all of us have had those experiences where we thought, you know, this is really hard and this is ugly or this is not going well, but I know God's going to step in and save. And yet, at least in our immediate circumstance, that doesn't happen. Yeah, Where is yeah. God in the midst of that? Because again, we have Moses and Moses's mother's like, man, I did it. That's awesome. My child is saved. But how many Jewish Hebrew women at that same time were like, my, I, my child has been taken from me and I will never see him again. And there's this great sense of loss in the midst of God kind of bringing victory out of that. And ultimately salvation for the Hebrew people is a whole bunch of loss. Yeah. How so, do we cope with that? I mean, yeah. I, I mean, the loss of a child is 
I mean, probably one of the more horrific things um, somebody can go through. Um, and so it sometimes leaves us speechless at that kind of grief and rightly so. Um, right. So I, I would frame, and this is a, the, I think this is a problem of theodicy, like wrestling right. with evil. Why does a, 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 a good and loving God who's all powerful let bad things happen to all people? And I think I've had it explained to me like there's a golden chain that they're all of three things that are all uh, connected that God is loving, God is all powerful, and evil is still evil. And we have to hold those in tension. And, and if, if we try to make God less powerful, then the things don't make sense. If God is not loving, then things don't make sense. But evil still got to be evil. Okay. And so we have to hold that intention. And the Christian life is working with faith, hope, and love in the midst of that tension. And trusting that what God uh, did in the resurrection of Jesus, triumphing over sin and death, will be brought to fruition and fulfillment in the eschaton at the end of all things right. um, and so that's how we can we we live with faith hope and love and courage in the midst of the evil of our world um, with that great hope in mind now right. i think um as a practical matter um one of the things that makes evil so evil so i'm thinking the death of a child um horrendous evil let's you know, you could do the Holocaust, whatever, is there is, it's inexplicable. There is right. by definition, no explanation for it. If you could give reasons, we, then it would make it less, um, less painful, right? So like, um, and, and sometimes this is how people try to like love or comfort people in the midst of their pain. And you say, oh, they, they use like religious platitudes. Oh, God's going to work this all for good. Oh, yes. your, your child had to die because um, right. God's going to, God's going to, you know, God needed a little angel in heaven or yeah. you know, Romans 8, 28. Oh, yeah. all that kind of stuff. Like, ah, stop. And, and I think, yeah. And the thing is, is there is no, there is no reason. It's inexplicable. Um, Carl Bart uses the word "surd," where we get the word "absurd." It, it's nothingness, and it's nothing, and right. that's why there's no reason for it. There's no, and to try to make a reason right. is kind of participating and in, in the evil. Right. Making, um, so that's kind of my feeling. And I, the paradigmatic example that I use um, and always turn people to is that go to the New Testament Gospel of John, uh, Mary and Martha. They have a brother Lazarus. They, Lazarus is really sick. They send for Jesus. Jesus doesn't come right away, waits a few days. Right. Lazarus dies. They, they bury him. Then Jesus shows up, okay? And then they're, they're like, why didn't you come earlier? And, and he doesn't answer. Right, no answer. And then, and, then, and then they say he wouldn't have died if he would have come. And he says, I'm the resurrection, the life. And they say, well, yeah, we believe in the resurrection of all things. And then, and then and Jesus says, no, I'm going to raise him right now. So where is he? And then he goes, and then in the shortest verse in the Bible, it goes, Jesus wept. Yeah. And I love that tension that Jesus weeps with these two sisters who are grieving and mourning at the death of their brother, even though he's about to raise him from the dead. Right. Knowing what he's about to do. Yeah. Yeah. And I love, like, that's, I think, our Christian vocation. How do we be with people when they're grieving, when they're suffering, and we're with them? We're not trying, I mean, we try to alleviate suffering. We try to work for healing. 
and restoration and hope, but we don't act like it's an easy solution. Right. right. And, and, and it will not be eradicated. People are still going to weep. People are still going to experience pain and suffering until the end of all things. And that great vision and revelation and the apostle Paul and what we see previewed in Jesus' resurrection on Easter. Yeah. I think it's really important, particularly where you pointed out that evil is inexplicable. As soon as we try to explain it uh, with platitudes that, well, God allowed this to happen or God orchestrated this to happen so that the X, Y, and Z could occur, God no longer is benevolent but becomes malevolent, mm -hmm. right? He sh God shifts there from being a, go a God who is all good and all loving to someone who is, is just kind of malicious and working out, even if for some it, it ends up being good, that others have to go through extreme pain. And that doesn't, that doesn't make any sense. So when we say, no, the brokenness, the pain, the suffering, is it, it's inexplicable. It can't be explained. It can't be dismissed or said, you know, God allowed it to happen or God encouraged it to happen or any of those things. It's just evil is evil. Mm -hmm. And that's that's part of the brokenness. And God, in the midst of those things, God remains present. I think that's really powerful. So that's where, you know, I don't think most of us have too much of an issue. We might not think about God a whole lot when things are going really well, but we probably don't have a whole lot of issue thinking, I wonder where God is in the midst of this. My life is going swimmingly, right? It's in those other difficult times, you know, so we had the story Jacob less so. Jacob's just napping and just kind of, just, you know, God descends. But for the story of Joseph, those, that's some dark stuff. Mm -hmm. The story of Moses, again, some dark stuff. And so those are the times where most of us are more likely to say, God, where are you in the midst of this? Because we all like to assume or feel like life should be smooth. We know it's not going to be. But, you know, whenever anything happens, we're like, what's happening? It was going so well, and now there's this chaos or difficulty or whatever, and as if that's the anomaly. But, you know, you know, as C.S. Lewis kind of said, that that that's life. You know, that's just part of our experience. It's, there's no getting around that at all. And, and so I think you're doing us, all of us, a service to kind of help unpack that and, again, recognize that. This is nothing new that the ancients were were facing some of the same things and asking some of the same deep questions. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think, um, you know, like you like in times of national trauma and tragedy, we see church attendance balloon skyrocket, you know, after yeah. 2000, 2000 yeah. 9-11 and 2001. Yeah. Churches are packed. Everybody's they were packed. packed. Yeah. And I, you know, I remember those days. Or like, you know, in 2008, the you know economic crisis, the downturn. All of a sudden, people were turning to church. I think probably that we hit the high, high point of church attendance, I think, in 2010 in the last, you know, 15, 20 years. And, um, you know, but when things are going really well, people are like, oh, I right. Sports, I got my... I got my. That's right. Let's go to a baseball game or the football yeah. one today. I don't need to worry about church. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, what do I need fine. God for? Right. And I think um, I'm not making light of you know tragedy and. No, suffering. not at all. I just think it's it's interesting that when when this stuff when we begin to question where God is, that that actually becomes a spiritually enriching um, and growth time for us. 
So for you then, I, I mean, you can't speak to everyone, but for you, how have you, what are the practices that that you utilize when you are in a difficult place, when it does seem like God has moved or God is absent that help you reconnect? Yeah, so I think, I mean, for me, um, I think being with a community of fellow believers who are on the journey together um, is critical for continuing keeping the faith, sharing, going arm in arm with one another um, to realize I'm not alone, uh, that people are with me. Um, I think secondly, I think a, a good prayer practice, I think that's just being honest with God about, um, about where I'm at, what my journey is. I think as a subgenre maybe of, of prayer practice would be meditation and contemplation, that not trying to understand or figure it out, which I can sometimes be given to, but just to just be and just be try to be present to God. Um, and those, and then I think, you know, returning to scripture for encouragement, uh, like we're doing in the sermon series that, Hey, there's other people that have gone before us that have gone through worse or similar things. And hopefully this will give me, um, hope. Yeah. I think sometimes, I don't know if this has always been the case, but Christians feel guilty about doubt, about struggles like this. Do you think that's true? And, and why do you think that is? Because, again, it seems well, like it's just part of the human condition. Yeah, I think I've been always mystified by this. I think part of it is because in America... American Protestants in the 20th century experienced a response to kind of the enlightenment and science that they thought their Christian faith could not be on par with the knowledge of science unless it was certainty. And so that's where this American fundamentalism came in. And it's American experiences. Uh, you experience this sometimes where um, American fundamentalism has been shipped off to other uh, continents and right. not. Uh, but I think, you know, um, so I think it, traditionally that faith includes doubt within it. That faith includes doubt, that faith really should be opposed to fear and that f biblically and that faith includes doubt within it. So I think about Peter, um, where Peter's, uh, you know, uh, Peter, he's this great man who wrestles with belief, faith, and doubt. You know, one time he says, um, Jesus, Jesus says, are you going to leave me too? And he goes, to whom else shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. I love that. I love this prayer. Oh, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Like, this is part of the Christian journey is not having it all figured out. And so, and I think people are just, a lot of people are embarrassed to admit it, but once they do, they're like, everybody else is like, oh yeah, I really wrestle with doubt and skepticism too. It's like, oh, okay, right. we're okay. Well, let's do yeah. this together. We're journeying together. Absolutely. So that's why I love um, our community, Dan. And, you know, I think one of the reasons I became Presbyterian was because I found like Presbyterian kind of theology and culture, um, folks were not afraid necessarily to wrestle with doubt that they didn't know everything hadn't had everything all figured out in my experience 
Plus, you, you obviously love a good meeting. <laughs> <laughs> Why would you become Presbyterian otherwise? <laughs> yeah. Well, how do you wrestle with, uh, you know, faith and doubt? And I mean, I think in similar ways, uh, you know, having having community, being having, you know, we have a worship community, and so uh, you know, RPC is a big, you know, relatively big church with, you know, eight hundred people in attendance on a Sunday, and you know, two thousand numbers on the books. I can't know all those people, but who knows me, and who do I know? Who can you be real with? Yeah. and say, I am really struggling right now, you know, and, you know, to hear, uh, you know, one of our, one of our fellow pastors, Scott Weimer, talk about his story, and, you know, how, you know, when he had real tragedy in his life, and he said, I couldn't read the scriptures, I couldn't pray, I had people who knew me who said, we are praying on your behalf, you know, that kind of thing is, is real, you know, and that's that's important to kind of recognize. And he just he he embraced that and said, I appreciate that. Thank you for that. And he didn't have to pretend that he had it all together or he was stoic or any of that kind of stuff. He's just like, I'm a mess right now. My life is. And so the same has been true in my life. And the times that I've really kind of fallen off is when I did, you know, I had kind of left those relationships in particular alone mm-hmm. or just kind of dismiss them or it's too embarrassed to kind of come clean or to be honest about my struggles or any of that kind of stuff because I thought oh if I'm if I'm real if I'm genuine people will dismiss me right and you so we we become fearful of that and where then that's just a downward spiral from there it's never good in that context right because you just it just gets worse and again I think the honesty of scripture you you know you mentioned Peter the Old Testament's full of that as well you know you see the story of Job and the struggles that he has. And I mean, the Psalms are beautiful to read because David and the, the writers of the, the Psalms are just so genuine in those things. Like, what is going on? I am struggling here. And, you know, I love the way mostly David, as the writer, kind of finishes it off. But he complains for 16 verses. And at the end, just kind of, but God, you are sovereign and I worship you. It's like, yeah. I don't know how you got there, but good job, David. <laughs> it would have taken me a few more than 16 verses to get there. So, <laughs> man, well, I appreciate it. So coming up this week is what? We're going to look at uh, the story from Exodus 3, where Moses is older now, and he's fled Egypt, and he's gone to work for his, I think, his father-in-law, and he's out tending the uh, livestock, and he comes across a burning bush. And um, God kind of restates the covenant to Moses and uh, calls him forth. And so we're going to see God is hidden, but also revealed uh, in this story. And I'm kind of excited because we're going to move it a little further down. We're going to move the ball a little further down the field and say, okay, is God always hidden? And if not, then how does God disclose God's self to us sometimes? Oh, that's yeah. exciting. You know, I'm surprised that you, when you said we're going to move the ball further down the field, you didn't say further down the court. In the midst of like NBA playoffs, you know, you kind of you, that metaphor just didn't seem to fit for you. But yeah, but, I know, man. That's now you say that I really let myself down. <laughs> you really did. That was a perfect opportunity to to punt one, and you didn't. Yeah. After the hawk, after the Hawks last last week and got knocked out of the playoffs by the Celtics, I've been a little bit in mourning but um, he has he's been pretty morose around the place it's pretty sad 
So are you are you cheering for anyone now? Or are you just now you just don't care anymore? No, I do care. I care deeply. I don't care as a fan so much as just a fan of basketball, like in of the sport and just watching it happen. I'm really excited, Dan, to watch um, the Warriors play the Lakers. Have uh, you know Steph Curry go up against LeBron? These, I mean, they've just had such great games over the years, and the Lakers are looking so much better after the trade deadline. They really changed the you know kind of the makeup of their team. So if LeBron and Anthony Davis can stay healthy, I think it's going to be a fantastic series. Yeah, I'm coming to your house to watch because, like I said, I have no way on TNT. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'll look. I'll look after the kids in between. You know when they come go cut commercials, I'll be fine. <laughs> You're gonna look after the kids. They take 100 of your attention. <laughs> You're still new at it. I, you know, I've got some methods. Well, you you are a veteran, them. dude. With four kids, like, you know what's up. <laughs> All right, Jeff. Thank you again for this time, and and we look forward to the, the coming sermon coming up this Sunday, and as we conclude this sermon series. So thanks, Dan. Thanks. All right. All right, buddy. See you soon. Yes. Yeah.